Hey there, everyone. So do you ever get tired of the same old ways of seeing things? Do you ever get the urge to cut through the world of everyday surface appearances and look for the light that's rare in the depths? Well, then maybe the wisdom of podcast is for you. Because in this podcast, we explore great works of philosophy and literature and art and try to pull out of them what's most invigorating and interesting and inspiring. Whether they come from the works of Plato or Dostoevsky or Picasso, here we explore ideas that move mountains and rock the soul. So come join us, won't you? Come worship at the altar of ideas and come celebrate the dancing of thought. And don't be afraid of the leaping sparks, as you can be certain of one thing, they will kindle the light inside of you. Welcome to the wisdom of, coming up today, the topic of irrationalism. Long-time listeners out there might know that uh, we've been involved in the writing and pitching of, of scripts. Specifically, we had our own unique idea for a Jason Bourne ripoff. Remember uh, John Locke in Blank Slate? The production company, they loved it. But, you know, as is the way in, in Hollywood, they wanted some changes. Instead of a, a tense spy thriller centered around an amnesiac-trained killer, they wanted it to be about Joanna Locke, a woman born into a family of locksmiths, but she really wants to break free and open a bakery that specializes in vegan, gluten-free cupcakes. Being artists with, you know, the highest integrity, we said sure, and after our first draft, we were immediately fired. Turns out we know nothing about baking. On top of that, the production company, they get to keep the rights to John Locke. Sorry, Joanna Locke. So really, we're back to square one. But it's not all bad. We've been offered the chance to explore a dark corner of the uh, Marvel Comics universe and do the adaptation of the relatively unknown superhero, Rational Man. So, cards on the table. This episode is really just prep we're doing for our Disney Plus pitch. So we're going to look at rationality, rational man, and maybe explore some potential villains, something, say, a little irrational. Yep, that's right. We're going with rational man. Disney's going to love it. And there's no shortage of material that we can use. I mean, the history of philosophy can help us here for sure. Hey, you know what? Why don't we explore some of it right now? Like you said, as a kind of prep material for our character. And, um, let's even look into some of those villains that you had in mind, too. Okay, so let's start at the dawn of Western philosophy. Let's start with Plato. So, Plato is often called a rationalist. Now, why exactly? Well, it's basically because he believed that we ideally recognize and pursue certain goals by our reason first, 
and only then direct our will or desire to help us achieve these goals. In other words, it's our pure and unfettered intelligence that's in charge and determines our goals, and only after does it enlist our will or desire for their pursuit. For Plato, then, human nature is ideally intellectual, and so for our desires to dominate would be Well, it would be a corruption of our nature as rational beings. Now, Plato's influence in this regard would be far-reaching. I mean, the great Descartes, for example, over um, 1,700 years later, would also uphold a kind of rationalism, a primacy of the understanding or the intellect over the will. And actually, this sort of thinking, this emphasis on the pride of place of reason, would extend all the way through the the scientific revolution to the enlightenment of the 17th and 18th century. Oh, and I should probably also mention the, the later German philosophers, Hegel and Marx here, too. I mean, they too, in their own way, upheld rationalist views. Most importantly, of course, they both saw a rational pattern to the historical process. In other words, they both saw the core of history as a developmental, intelligible story. Okay, now, here's the thing. Of course, not all philosophers held to rationalist views. And here's the the villains that you talked about. Note, for example, Thomas Hobbes and David Hume are two early dissenters. That's to say, in their own way, they both believe that Um, reason or intelligence, is ultimately subordinate to will or desire, not the other way around. I mean, Hobbes essentially thought that all human behavior is based on pain and pleasure, or desire and aversion. And um, Hume? Well, he famously said that reason is only the slave of the passions. But I would say it's not really until Schopenhauer and then Nietzsche, and then Sigmund Freud, that we get a kind of radical critique of rationalism and of the Enlightenment notions of historical progress. You see, for Schopenhauer, reason, well, that's definitely relegated to a subordinate role. More specifically, reason is just a a servant to the larger life force that Schopenhauer called the will. That's to say, Our reason, or intelligence, is actually entirely in bondage to our unconscious and irrational desire to perpetuate life. So, what's interesting here about this view is that we're not um, a special and separate species of being marked out by our capacity for reason and thought. No, for Schopenhauer, the fact of the matter is that we're simply continuous with animals— equally driven, like them, by instincts and desires rooted way deep down. This um, special and lofty dignity that Immanuel Kant talked about that he claimed that we humans had, it's not true. We don't occupy any, any pedestal, despite the long tradition that claims that we do. Nope, we're just as natural as and as identical to the animals that we share the earth with and just as oblivious as them when it comes to our true motivations. Anyway, in this sense, and of course this is also in part Freud's discovery, 
What's really going on is that life operates behind reason's back. What ultimately makes us do the things we do lies well beneath the reach of reason. We don't have the autonomous human agency that we think we do. Life is a subterranean ocean in which we humans swim, pushed and pulled by its forces. Now, for Schopenhauer and for Nietzsche, what this also means is that our intellect is not some privileged faculty engaged in a totally pure or unbiased manner in understanding the world. We don't see the world transparently. No, because our intellect is an instrument of these larger life forces, it's always infected by motives and interests that we're not aware of. If we see, we see through a glass darkly, to quote Corinthians. And again, that's because the will is our first and deepest source of motivation and our most fundamental means of engagement with the world, even if we're not consciously aware of it. And so, ultimately, if truth is something disclosed to us, it's not by our intellect, but it's by our bodies and our passions and the unconscious. As um, Nietzsche tells us, There is more wisdom in your body than there is in your deepest philosophy. And um, to get back to the likes of Hegel and Marx for a moment, notice that here too they get it wrong, at least according to the likes of Schopenhauer and Nietzsche and Freud. That's to say, history isn't rational or developmental, and individuals aren't becoming more perfect. In other words, There's no linear concept of progress where history is a process of progressive development. No, life is just an endless struggle of forces that simply continues on without leading to some better or utopian outcome. History is purposeless. The universe is not a rational place. And so it, well, it just ultimately doesn't conform to the sorts of ideals or dreams of humanity spoken about by so many philosophers. So, in prep for the new show, I've been working on our our new character, Rational Man. Specifically, I've been focusing on his origin story. It all starts with uh, Sidney St. Samuels, a mild-mannered logician who was accepted to Princeton, but he went to Alapaca State because it saves money, and hey, they read the same books there anyway. One day, while making one of his many trips to his local insurance broker, uh, a favorite activity of his, we, the audience, a little dramatic irony there, we discovered that this insurance place is not what it seems. They are conducting bizarre scientific experiments trying to create the perfect brokerage firm, one where they never have to pay out any claims. Haven't really worked out all the details here, but somehow our guy, Sidney St. Samuels, he, he ventures into a back room and he gets, he gets bit by a radioactive actuary and he falls into a pit of haunted dictionaries or something and he gets powers the powers of super-rationality. Rational man is born, but every hero, you know, for a good story, needs a weakness, a flaw, the kryptonite, right? 
So now, hey, it's your turn. Could there be a weakness? Is there a flaw in actually being overly rational? Radioactive actuary. Now, that's not something you hear too often, is it? Yeah, so is there a problem with being overly rational? Well, it's a good question. So in order to try to answer this, let me first sort of um, define what one might mean by rational. Okay, so I take it that at least one feature of the rational life is summed up in uh, Socrates' most famous injunction. You know, that the unexamined life is not worth living. In other words, the suggestion here is that rationality is connected to philosophical reflection about one's life, even, incredibly, to a life worth living. Now, what are we to make of this? I don't know, it's, it's a bit extreme, isn't it? A bit arrogant, even. I mean, wouldn't this eliminate, as candidates for, for rationality, a lot of different cultures? That is, aren't there a lot of societies where um, hyper-self-reflection isn't encouraged or just isn't on the radar? Or what about all those cultures enveloped in um, mythology and storytelling? Or what about those who look for justification not in critical thinking, but in forms of authority and tradition? Now, are these ways of being any less rational? Or if they are, does it matter? That's to say, is rationality, in the Socratic sense of self-reflection, is it really necessary for the good or meaningful life? Actually, you know what? I think you could make the case that sometimes rationality and the pursuit of the examined life is not just unnecessary for the good life, but an obstacle to it. That's to say, it can be debilitating. I mean, I think about all those philosophers who've in one way or another tried to pursue the examined life only to have it ended in failure for them. I mean, in their own way, Montaigne and Nietzsche come to my mind. And, well, so does Rousseau, who found that he could never live up to the depiction of the proper person that he described in his own works. Anyways, the truth of the matter is that philosophical reflection and self-examination often leads to doubt and despair, not confidence and joy. And um, we see something like this in everyday life as well. Chronic, self-focused rumination can often lead to depression. I don't know, maybe Dostoevsky's underground man was right when he called consciousness and over-awareness a thorough-going illness, one which takes the form of paralysis. And actually, you know, speaking of the Russians, Tolstoy also knew this, something that he makes clear in his Confessions, where he basically says that too much reflection can bring life to a stop, which it did for him. I don't know, maybe Nietzsche was right when he said that we're necessarily strangers to ourselves. Maybe there are limits to self-knowledge and the examined life. Maybe thoughtfulness incapacitates more than it moves us forward. Actually, it's interesting. This idea of incapacitation, this idea of uh, analysis paralysis, makes me think of how Socrates is described in one of Plato's dialogues. The Mino. There, Socrates is described as a kind of torpedo fish or a kind of electric eel 
that shocks those it comes into contact with, temporarily leaving them paralyzed. In other words, Socrates' constant questioning and examining leaves others in a crippling perplexity that they can't seem to get out of. I don't know, maybe at the end of the day, the best strategy, while not resorting to complacency, is to put aside our perfectionistic ideals, to stop over-deliberating and obsessing, and to live the more intuitive life. Maybe, just maybe, the most rational life is one that knows not to eat its own tail. listening to the wisdom of podcast if you want to know more about this topic or the podcast in general visit wisdomofpod.com and as usual we love to read your questions and comments reach us at info at wisdomofpod.com or on twitter at wisdom underscore pod our next episode the idea of hope